This is a cool time, isn't it? I don't mean Sunday gathered here. I, I mean the time of year where we are within a week of, of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean spending time together remembering Him. Remembering His triumphal entry. Remembering Palm Sunday leading up to Friday and that incredible price that He paid for us. This morning as we dig into God's Word, I'd like to to start off kind of framing everything on a question. And that question is this, is He worthy? The, the title that just came up that just robbed me. Just kidding. Is worthy of worship? Is Jesus Christ really, truly, indeed worthy of worship? The year was 1977, December 4th. And the king at that time of Central African Europe's name was King Bokasa I. And this was a particularly important day for him because he was going to be handing over the kingship from himself to his son. He hired some sort of designer from France to the tune of $25 million, they prepared everything for this blessed day. King Bokasa had 29 other children, nine wives, and his favorite wife, why anybody that had nine wives would have a favorite wife, I don't know, but it was the same in our tribe with a guy who had seven wives. His favorite wife was wife number nine. And so she joined him on this oh-so-important day. And she was all dolled up in a dress that I'm assuming has cost, cost more than any of you would ever pay. Some $73,000. They jumped into a coach, which was not a normal coach at all. It was shaped like an eagle. It had six Anglo-Norman horses trotting them along. He wore a 32-pound robe. 32 pounds. And it was embroidered with, with pearls and gold. Only to take him to the throne. The throne, which was also arranged like an eagle, cost some $2.5 million dollars. But none of that even measured up to what the most amazing display of, of splendor and opulence was that day, and that was the crown. On top of this crown, there was an 80-carat diamond. The crown itself was over $2 million, just the crown. So King Bokasa gets there. He sits in the throne. He stands up, removes his robe, Gives that to his son. Takes the crown and removes that and places that upon his son's head. And then has him sit in the throne. My, my brothers and sisters, my friends, there have been tons and tons of kings. There will continue to be kings upon kings. And all their splendor and all their 
what we look at and say glory, wealth, but none of them are worthy of worship. Not one. Except for who we're going to see this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ is different than any other king ever to walk the face of this planet. And what we are going to spend some time doing this morning is being reminded of that. My prayer, as we turn, turn there with me now, to John chapter 12, that as we look at God's word this morning, that the Holy Spirit would reach deep into your heart and He would squeeze your heart. with the magnificence of who our Lord is. That He is the King of kings. And that He, above all others, deserves our worship and is worthy of our worship. By God's grace, I will get through 36 verses in less than three hours' time. (laughs) Incidentally, that's how long the teaching times were in Papua New Guinea and in our tribe. You guys are off easy. So let's look at God's word together. John chapter 12. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at the first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went to meet him, went and met him, because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are not doing any good. Look, the whole world has gone after him. 
Now there were some Greeks, Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it, that it had thundered. Others were saying, oh, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. The crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and he went away and hid himself from them. Let's pray for the preaching of the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that you give us. Not just that you, Lord Jesus, spilt your blood on our behalf. But over 2,000 years ago, when you came into Jerusalem, they treated you as a king. Lord, I pray that we would see you more as a king as, our, as a time, as we finish our time in your word, as we spend time in your word, as we soak in your word, as your word is taught, not, not by me, but by your Holy Spirit that we would leave here with a greater appreciation of just how worthy you are of our worship, Lord Jesus. So guide our time. Keep us from being distracted. May you receive the glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now oftentimes you would have thought since this is the time where we are remembering Jesus coming into Jerusalem that I would have just zeroed in on verses 12 to 19. And actually, I've preached these verses here from this pulpit. And as I spent time digging into, once again, these passages, the Lord just made things so much more clear for me this time around by taking me back, allowing me to see not only the event of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, but what happens immediately before this event and then what happens immediately after it? 
And it's for that reason that we are going to look at this big chunk of Scripture this morning. Because to take both of those out, I, I believe, kind of limits our understanding of just how significant Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the way that he was treated is to us. That Jesus is indeed worthy of worship and, and all of these verses just scream out to us about that. What is oh so significant that as we start our time off this morning, in John chapter 12, if we had been walking through the book of John, verse by verse, as we so often do expositionally as I preach through a passage, I don't normally just come and just drop into a passage. And it would be so helpful to know exactly what happened in chapter 11. Why? Because chapter 11 and the way that it ends up is closing a, a page on the life of Jesus. Really, his public ministry is done. And the last miracle that he does, the last sign that he does, is raising Lazarus from the dead. That is immediately what happens before this. That is what then leads into the first 11 verses in John chapter 12. And it is what makes this oh so compelling to understand that Jesus is not just pictured as a normal king. He is pictured as the Prince of Peace. He is pictured, he is understood to be as that king that can grant us life. One that has power over the grave. And all of that is the backdrop for what we see beginning in chapter 12, verse 1. And what we are going to see this morning as we start off something oh so significant that you cannot worship the Lord Jesus Christ until you believe in Jesus as Savior. We're going to see that some do that this morning. They worship Jesus, but, but they don't really get it. And so really what they're all about is they're just a whole bunch of mouth and, and hands. A whole bunch of hot air, moving hands with palm branches and what have you. But the reality is their hearts have not changed. And so the implication for you and I this morning is, has your heart changed? Do you come here Sunday after Sunday? Perhaps this is your first Sunday, and this is the Lord's way of, of getting your attention. Letting you know that you can just go through the motions. That what Jesus Christ wants is a relationship. He wants to be your Savior. And He didn't come on your terms. He came on His terms. And what we're going to see this morning is, is a whole bunch of people missing Jesus. And it's clear from what we see that there are oh so many missing Jesus. Who's the first one that we see? Verse 4. Judas Iscariot misses Jesus and he misses him hard. And of anyone that should be able to get it, Judas should have got it. He was there with his own eyes watching Jesus and all of his miracles. He was there with his own ears listening to Jesus preach as no other preacher could preach. And yet, what do we see? We don't see Judas believing in Jesus Christ as Savior. Actually, with the question, is he, is he worthy? Judas would answer with an explicative, as strongly as I could say, absolutely not. 
But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? He didn't care about the poor people. He just wanted the money for himself. That's all he was thinking about. You see, Judas couldn't get over his own self. He was so self-focused that he never truly perceived and understood who Jesus Christ was. And so he honestly looks at Jesus and says, it'd be better if if that was given to someone else, to the poor. Why? Because, well, Jesus isn't really worth that. But look further. There's some others that we see that actually are involved in Jesus coming into Jerusalem. They seem to be worshiping him. They seem to be followers of Jesus, but this whole idea of believing in Jesus is missing. We we don't see that in these verses. Look at verses 17 to 18. And notice how far back these people go. These people go back to chapter 11 and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They were there. They saw this. They saw Jesus raise him from the dead. So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him doesn't say that they believed in him, that they just continued to testify about him because what they saw was so incredible. They were all about Jesus the miracle maker, the miracle worker. They weren't anything about Jesus the Savior. They didn't get that. Verse 18, for this reason also the people went and met him. Who? Other people. Other people in Jerusalem as they, as they saw him. No doubt as they heard all of the loud shouting of Hosanna, Hosanna. They came and they wanted to see what was going on. And what did they do? They believed, no. For this reason also the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed the sign. We, we don't see any belief as a result of Jesus entering into Jerusalem and everybody paying him homage as though he were king. Where do we see belief? We see belief all before this, actually. Verses 10 to 11, chapter 12, but the chief priest planned to put out Lazarus to death. Why? Because he was a problem. He was a walking testimony pointing everyone to the fact that Jesus has power over death. So they wanted him out. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. What were they going away from? They were going away from their Jewish faith. And they were turning to Jesus in in faith, in repentance. So that is where we start this morning. You must believe in Jesus as Savior so that you can worship him as King. And we're given right in the beginning of of John chapter 12 that, man, I don't know how many times I've missed this in the past, we're given two very good examples of those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and now they are worshiping Him as King long before He enters Jerusalem. 
Two ladies that we're very familiar with that I would say not only are they worshiping Jesus as their king, but they are changed even in the way that they are now worshiping. Who's the first? We see Martha. And in so many ways, Martha hasn't changed. And this should encourage you out there that just love to serve, that God has given you that gift, that you just love serving people. Praise the Lord for you. Just remember, don't be like Martha back in Luke 10, back before Lazarus. Do you remember what was happening then? Oh, she was serving. She was serving everyone, but she was also having one eye on Mary, wondering why she wasn't such a good servant as herself. And then she had the other eye on everybody else, no doubt watching her. What, what her eyes weren't placed on, or better yet, who her eyes weren't placed on was the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything has changed now. Notice she is totally comfortable and good with Mary sitting and worshiping the Lord. Now, she's changed. Why? Because she has seen the power of Jesus Christ in action. She now understands that He is the resurrection and the life, just as He told her. So she's changed. She doesn't need him to walk through and do everything and, and have all the palm or tree or the branches put out and everybody shouting. No, she gets it already. And so what does she do? She serves. And as she's serving, she is focused on him. And so what does that teach us? That teaches you and me that we must worship Jesus through our devoted service. That is what both of them are doing. And if Mary wasn't any different than she was before, I believe she would have stayed on the, on the ground next to Jesus' feet. But perhaps she's learned something from her sister. And she's learned something from Jesus. That oftentimes our devotion just isn't what we say, but it's what we do. And how we serve Him through serving others. And in this case, it's, it's how she serves Jesus Himself. Verse 3, as Mary then took, what, a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard. The amount of money that Judah says they could get for this pure nard is the equivalent of a year's salary. This was no small little small bottle of perfume. No, this was huge and this was costly. That, that's what our worship should be. It should be costly. But not only that, notice how she does it. She uses her hair. That, that isn't what a Jewish woman does. You don't show your hair. That shames you. She's willing to risk shame. Why? Because she is so devoted to Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what all of you think. Just, just let that sink in for a moment. How many of you are like me to where even when you're singing, you want, man, if I raise my hands, what's this guy going to say? What's that person going to say? Instead of just saying, you know what? I am so devoted to you, Lord. I am just going to go ahead and lift my hands up to you because you are my all in all. And that is what Mary is doing. She's saying, I don't care how much it costs. I don't care what I look like. I am devoted to you as your humble servant. So I am going to serve you by worshiping you in this way as my king so that all around her can see this. And actually in the other Gospels, it's not just Judas that kind of gets on her. The other disciples too, they do the same thing. 
Why? Because I don't believe at this point that they truly got it. So maybe you can relate. Maybe up to this point, you haven't truly gotten it either. And and perhaps the Lord's going to use this to uh, allow this to just become that much more clear. Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. He is the one that deserves all glory, all our worship. We see this contrast between Mary and Judas. As as Judas is, is one who is living for himself. And Mary is one who is living for Jesus Christ and isn't concerned with herself. Which one are you like? And notice when this happens. This all happens before Jesus walks into Jerusalem. This all happens right before the Passover. Jesus does this Miracle of miracles, raising Lazarus from the dead. It's not like the modern day things that you hear about to where somebody was resuscitated for 10 minutes and then boom, then, then they were alive again or somebody else and they said that they, they saw this, you know, this, this white or this light or a dove or, or this or that. No, no, this, this is three days. Do you know how smelly someone is after they're dead for three days in this kind of climate? I can tell you. You, you wouldn't want to be there. You, you learn how to turn off your nose. No, this doesn't make any sense. Somebody in this condition does not raise from the dead. And so why is Jesus so worthy of our worship? Because He has power over death. Because He is the King of kings. So next, what do we see? Next, we see oh so clearly that we need to worship Jesus as the king of our lives, the king of your life, day in and day out. Not just one day as a token of worship, which is what we see most happening here. Oh, they were all about Jesus right here, right now. But what you know what we're going to see on Friday? These same ones that are crying out, Hosanna, They're going to be screaming out, crucify him. Why? Because he didn't come on their terms. That's what they all thought. They all thought, oh, we get you. We understand. Yes, he is the king. He is the king, the one that will come and wield his mighty sword. And he will deliver us from the Romans. And yet what Jesus does is not that. And even in the way that he comes into Jerusalem, he's screaming without saying anything. I am not like any other king. I'm not like any other man. I'm altogether different. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I am the savior that has come to save you, not from Rome, even though you think that that could be the most important thing to save you from. Just as Pastor Shane said as as he was talking about the serpent and Moses and the serpent being up high, and that anybody that looked on it, what would happen? Well, then the, the venomous snakes that were killing so many of them, they'd be saved. You'd be, you'd be, they'd say it in Papua New Guinea, shot. You'd be bit by the snake is the word I'm looking for. You'd be bit by that snake, it would kill you instantly. But now if you looked at the serpent, 
being held up high, a representation of Jesus Christ, you would not die. What's that a picture of? Jesus has power over death. And in that, he is worthy to be worshipped. Even though they all miss him. Notice what they're shouting. They're, they're pulling out palm branches, which is something that you would only do for kings. They are recognizing him as king. So in this, that is right. But look at what he, they call him. They call him Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna. That literally means save, but there's more to it than just save. It's the idea, save us now. Right here on our terms, pull out your sword and save us from them. And what Jesus has come to do is to not save them from the tyranny of Rome, but to save them from sin. To save them from the punishment of sin from the power of sin, and ultimately from the very presence of sin. That's what he's come to do. But they don't want that. They want what they want from Jesus, and so they're trying to call the shots. Don't we do the same thing? Even in the midst of of looking like they are so much into this, and they are following Jesus, and they believe in Jesus, but we know that that is not the case. They miss him. And what is so remarkable about all of this isn't just that they miss him, but that Jesus allows them to welcome him as king, that Jesus allows them to worship him. Turn with me to John chapter 6. And again, if we'd been able to walk through John, we we would have already known this, and this, this would make so much sense. And it would be so much easier to understand and to see the implications. Oh man, something has changed. What is going on now? Well, now Jesus is looking at the last week of his life. Now he's going to allow them to welcome him as king. John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. The context here is is when Jesus has now fed 5,000, and that's 5,000 men with just five loaves and two fish, which could have been up to 15,000 or more people that he fed by God's grace through the power of God living and active in him, proving to all of them that he was unlike any other man. And look at what happens in verse 14. What their response is, therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, feeding all these people with hardly any food, What did they say? They said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Oh, we get it. We know who he is. But look at how Jesus responds. So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and to take him by force and do what? To make him king. Withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. You see, it wasn't proper at this time for them to take him as king, to welcome him as king, but it is proper now. It is appropriate. It is timely. It is fitting for them to be doing just what they're doing, worshiping him. It is proper, but they are misdirected and they are wrongly motivated. They need a savior just like you do, just like I do. But oftentimes, 
We don't want a Savior. We want a God of our own construction, of our own narrative, to work things out exactly the way that we want Him to work them out, instead of the way that He says, no, this is my way. And you must follow my way, not yours. And again, we know that not everyone who hears what is going on responds the same way. As the Pharisees, they they get mad at each other in verse 19. They say to one another, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world, the the whole world's gone after him. That isn't what that means in the Greek. It means right there, the people that are around them, every, everybody that they're considering in Jerusalem, man, everybody's turned towards him. And what's so frustrating about them is this goes against their plan. Look at John eleven fifty seven. 57. This was their plan. This is what they've been thinking of. After Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, they recognize, man, we need to stop this guy ASAP. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Well, now Jesus is right before them. Everybody's worshiping him. And yet they can't do anything. Why? Because God's in charge, not them. Because Jesus is worthy of worship. And we should worship him, not just this day, but our our entire lives. But you want to know, I I believe, the most powerful reason why Jesus is worthy of worship? It's not solely because He has power over death. It's not because solely He comes in on a donkey showing that He is the King of peace. That He has come to bring peace. But the, the strongest testimony to this is what the Father says. You see, the Father says, yes, He is worthy of worship. Look at John chapter 12, verses 27 to 28. As what goes on here. Look at how the Father responds to Jesus being troubled in his soul. Literally, as he was in the garden wondering, man, can this be taken from me? And yet recognizing there's no way it can. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Right after he says that, then the Father talks. In the garden, it's just Jesus and God. Here, everyone's listening. This is a testimony. Notice, Jesus is in anguish of his soul an entire week before he gets to the cross. He knew about it all week long. He knew about it long before that. He's known about it since the beginning of time, before the beginning of time, for all of eternity. But now as this last hour comes, he's recognizing, man, this is close. And it's hard on him. And yet, look at how the Father responds and a voice came out of heaven, verse 28. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. He's pointing back to the past and saying, man, I've already glorified your name. You are worthy of worship. And I've proven this time and time again through all the miraculous signs and wonders that you have done. And the crescendo was Lazarus. And I'm going to even blow that away by allowing you to be raised from the dead, never to die again, unlike Lazarus who did die. All to prove to you and to me this morning that He is worthy of our worship. And this isn't the norm, but I'm going to ask us to do this. We we don't have palm branches. I think the kids might have some. They might be doing that. But we wouldn't have enough for all of you guys. 
We, we, we don't have perfume, and I don't know that we could even get perfume that would cost an entire year's wages. So what can we give to the Lord? We can give Him as our offering of worship, our voices lifted together in song. And, and what I would like us to do now is, is to join as, as Pastor Shane and, and Joyce and Brad come up. The song, Is He Worthy? Maybe you know this song. If, if you do not know the song, I would encourage you just to look at the words as we sing these. This is the chorus. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He was David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy of this? He is. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. And again, God's heartbeat, all nations, from every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, He has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He worthy of this? He is. Let's sing together. The world is broken, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. Do you know that all the dark stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that you could see? Father truly 
move among us, he does. And as Jesus, our Messiah, holds forever those he loves, he does. Does our God intend to dwell again with Praise the Lord for uh, the ability that he's given us to proclaim him to one another and sing praises. Just think that uh, one day we will do that face to face with him. And as cool as this chorus just was, just think of how that will be with millions. Singing praise to the Lord. Thank you, Andrew Peterson, for that song. Mm. And because Jesus is worthy, I guess I need to wrap up my sermon. We need to be seeking and following him. This is the, the next episode, the next little interaction that happens. We don't know exactly when this was. This could have been directly after all the palm branches and singing Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This, that could have happened in the morning and this could have been in that afternoon. We don't know. But look at what we see. Verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast and 
These then came to Philip. Why? Because Philip was from a Gentile Greek town. Even though he's, he's Jewish, he also just was raised more in a Greek environment. So he would be incredibly sympathetic towards these Greeks coming to him. And what are the Greeks asking? That This is so much in contrast to what we see the Pharisees in verse 19. Right? Their response is, man, what is going on? The world has gone after him. Everything is messed up. These guys' response is, where is he? Sir, we wish to see Jesus. These no doubt were proselyte Jews. These were Greeks that had now believed in Judaism and Yahweh and they were practicing and serving. They'd come in order to celebrate Passover and now the Passover lamb had come and perhaps they missed him that morning. They couldn't get close enough to see him and now they want to see him close. That's how our attitude should be. We should want to get close to Jesus. We should want to spend time in his word. Even if you don't want to, force yourself to. God will still speak through His Word, even when you don't feel like it. And then look at the grace upon grace. Did Jesus have to answer them? No. Jesus hasn't said anything. And now He does. As if to show us that His heart and God's heart is for the whole world, not just for the Jewish nation. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if it was just that alone that He said, I think everybody would applaud. And everybody would look around just like they were earlier for the swords. And they were thinking, no doubt, okay, this means that the hour has come. He's going to overthrow Rome. Yes, I'm all in. But that isn't what this time signifies. That isn't who what Jesus is talking about, not at all. He's talking about giving up his life. He's talking about laying his life down as the sacrificial lamb of God. Which is why he says in verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it, if it dies, what does it do? It bears much fruit. Don't you understand? I am going to give up my life. And by me giving up my life, I'm not just talking about raising Lazarus from the dead so he can live another 20 years. I am talking about I'm going to give up my life so that you can enter into the eternal life that I've existed in from all of time. I'm the only one that can offer that because I'm the only one that enjoys that life. No other man can offer it. That's what Jesus is saying. And in order to do that, it's, it's, like, it's like farming. You guys get farming. A seed's planted and then it must die. And when that seed dies, that's when the fruit can come. That's when the tree can come. And from that tree comes all the fruit. Jesus is saying the exact same thing. That through me and through my death in particular, that is where eternal life will come. That is what he's telling them. He's also telling them that this is a different time than what we've seen throughout the book of John. Not only was Jesus not allowing them to take him as king, he again and again says in the book of John, hey, my time hasn't come yet. 
We see it right in the beginning. Look at John chapter 2 with his first miracle where, where his mom comes to him and, 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 and she's like, hey, we're all out of wine. He'll fix it. And Jesus is like, what? No, I'm not doing that. Woman, what are you talking about? And notice how he phrases it. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. One hour, the hour for him to go to the cross, the hour for him to lay down his life, the hour for him to do that which nobody was thinking that he would do or that they needed. To be the sacrificial lamb. Look at chapter 7, verse 30. Very, very similar. Chapter 7, verse 30. So they were seeking to seize him. And no man laid his hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Next chapter, chapter 8, verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Totally different in John chapter 12. Verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Not for Him to conquer Rome, but for Him to conquer sin. Verse 27, for this purpose I came to this particular hour. We see it in chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that His hour had come. What hour? He's, he's looking at the whole last week of his life and saying, this is why I came. This is where everything makes sense. My miracles, my preaching, my everything was all to come to the cross. 16, chapter 16, verse 32. Don't turn there. Chapter 7, verse 1. I'm just letting you know that Christ keeps letting us know, hey, this is the time. Before chapter 12, verse, chapters 1 to 11 in the book of John, his time had not yet come. The time is here. But notice, he's not just pleading for some to come to a saving knowledge of him, to accept him as their Savior. He's also letting those like Mary and Martha, those that are there, he's spurring them on to say, hey, keep seeking me and keep following me. Follow after my example. Look at what he says. Verse 32. And if I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself back in John chapter 12. He's letting them know that he is going to suffer and die. And he's giving them the example that he's willing to lay down his life for us. And so what must we be willing to do? We must be willing to lay down our lives for him. Verses 25 to 26, he who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am there, my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And then he leaves them with this challenge. A question, really. Are you going to stay in the dark or are you going to come to the light? 
verses 35 to 36. So Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. He doesn't even answer their question. I, I would have thought he would have said, well, yes, I'm the son of man. I'm God's son. I'm the way, the truth, the life. But he doesn't go there. Instead, he lets them know, I am the light of the world. You're in darkness, meaning you're in sin. You're separated from God. You are dead. And what I am offering you is light, life, eternal life. Holiness. God's holiness. God's set-apartness. He's set apart from sin. You can't have any darkness and light. And yet the only way to have that is for you to believe in me. Which is why he says, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. The only question is, do you believe? And then the follow-up question is, then are you walking in the light? This is very similar to what Jesus said already in John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you have the light of life? Do you recognize that you are a sinner, just as I am, just as all of us here are? And do you understand that Jesus came to pay the price for sin so that you would not have to? That you could join forever with the rest of us in all of eternity in the light, in eternal life, instead of eternal torment. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Turn to Him in repentance. If you want to talk to one of us about that after the service, please, we will hang out. We'd love to talk to you. There are some points to ponder. I, I would encourage all of you to keep mulling over this the next couple days and then maybe like Wednesday, start looking ahead and considering what Jesus does for us on the cross so that when we gather together on Friday, we can have our minds already prepared to just enter in here and just worship him for who he is and what he's done on our behalf. Amen? Okay, let me, let me pray as Shane and the worship team come up. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for you for giving us your son and for making it so clear to us that he is indeed worthy of our worship. That he alone is worthy of our worship. We pray that our lives would reflect that. If anyone here does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would grant them repentance right now, that you would open their blind eyes, allow their deaf ears to hear what is being presented, that you are eternal life, that you are the light of the world. And there is life found in no other but you, and you alone. You rose from the dead, proving that you conquered death. And now we can have life in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.